Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. You know, if you think about it, all families have a few, some many, but at least a few defining characteristics. All families have some defining characteristics. And for example, sometimes those characteristics are physical traits. Some families are all really tall people, right? And then other families, we'll just say, are not so tall people, right? Sometimes they're families and they all have a really long nose. And you can just see it in their family portrait. Other, other families, it's their ears that stand out. There, there are different physical traits that some families have that are kind of defining characteristics. If that's, if that's your family, you and your family know it. You talk about it. You laugh about it. You discuss it when the family gets together. These defining physical characteristics. But sometimes the characteristics are not physical. Sometimes they're more sociological or behavioral There are certain behavioral characteristics that different families have. Like some families, everybody's kind of likes to be at home. They're homebodies. Other families are very social. Different characteristics. My family has one of these behavioral sociological characteristics that runs through our entire family. And it involves how we relate to one another. And here's the characteristic. Everybody in my family has a competitive spirit. We don't play games to play games. I even have trouble with people that play games to play. We, you play games to win games. That's why we play games in our family. And so our family is all very competitive. And, and my wife and I, we were talking about this last night because I told her I was going to share this. And, and I said, babe, to be honest, you're the worst. I mean, you're the... And she... She said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, hun, ask any of our kids who is most likely to cheat if they have to to win. And she just hung her head. Because she knew, but, but it's not just, it's all of us. We're just very competitive people. Well, in the same way, when you become a part of the family of God, there are some defining characteristics about being a part of God's family. And it really is born out of, like the other stuff's kind of silly, this is born out of when Christ comes to live in us. The Christian life is not you and me trying hard to live for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through us out of the overflow of our fellowship relationship with him. So to the degree that you and I begin to be conformed to the image of Christ as Jesus begins to live in and through us, guess what it's going to be? There are going to be some characteristics that we share about how we relate with one another because it's simply Christ in us. The, I believe, most defining of those characteristics is our love for one another as brothers and sisters in, in Christ. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus says this very strongly in John chapter 13. I want you to look at this verse on the screen. Jesus said, by this all men will, say this word out loud, No. This word no is not a word that speaks to head knowledge. This word no is a, is a Greek word that is a relational term. It means to know by experience. It means to know because relationally I have experienced this. He says by this everybody's going to know because they're going to see it. They're going to experience it. They're going to know that you are my disciples. What is this defining characteristic that everybody's going to experience? Here's what it is. If you have, say it out loud, love for one another. It's one of the defining marks of being a part of the family of God. Last weekend, Pastor Jeff Phillips, who preached for the first time here at Hope, he's been on our staff team for about a year, but Jeff preached last weekend, did a fantastic job, amen? Well, we blessed to have Pastor Jeff. Here's a quote from Pastor Jeff's message last weekend. He said, God calls every believer in Jesus to love other believers the way that he loves us. That's a high standard. We've been called to relate to one another with the love that is in us through Christ flowing out of our lives and interacting and engaging with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, had somebody emailed me this week and asked what I thought was such a good question that I wanted to, to bring the question to all of us today as we jump back into this passage of Scripture. And he asked this question. He said, I've been at Hope for a while. I've heard you guys teach on this principle. But he said, am I supposed to love everyone or am I only to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thought it's a great question because as we're studying through 1 John together as a family of faith, John is talking a lot about loving one another. And everywhere in the Bible you read that phrase, one another, in the New Testament, it always is a reference to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's talking about the way we relate to each other as the family of God. But... Jesus also said that we are to love our what? Neighbor. That's not a one another imperative. That's not a one another. That's whoever you happen to be close to in this moment. Whoever is within your proximity. So in one sense, we are called to demonstrate the love of Jesus to everyone, Christian or non-Christian, friend or enemy. We are to love Every person. But what's different about this loving one another is when you and I say we're going to love our neighbor or even love our enemies, oftentimes that's a one-sided relationship. We're reacting and relating to them in love, but not always are we guaranteed that that's going to be the response. The difference with loving one another is he's talking about a way that the relationship is supposed to work holistically. The way that you and I relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is we do so rooted and grounded in the love that we have with Jesus. So I want us to pick back up. If you have your Bible, open it to 1 John chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, we are just studying straight through this wonderful New Testament letter, the letter of 1 John. We're coming to the end of chapter 3 today. 
1 John chapter 4, next weekend I'll begin teaching in chapter 4. We'll unpack verse 1 and following of chapter 4. But we're going to start in verse 19 of chapter 3. He says, we will know by this that we are of the truth. Now before we go past that, what does he mean when he says this? He says, we can know by this that we're of the truth. John has been writing to give us some assurance of our relationship with God. And he says, here's one of the ways you can know that you belong to the family of God. By this. Well, what's this? Well, you got to know what he just talked about. In the verses preceding, he talked about loving one another. Look back at verse number 18. He said, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. He's talking about this love relationship that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, when you're walking in that... It gives you assurance that you are of the truth. Let's read on. And will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Let me make a point right here. What happens a lot of times with Scripture is people will take an isolated phrase out of its context and they'll say, oh, here's what this means. Some people take this phrase and we ask whatever and we receive from him and say, see there, you can have whatever you want. All you got to do is ask. Like God is some genie in a bottle out there waiting on us to rub him the right way and get what we want. That is not at all the context of these verses. This is not a blank check promise to get whatever you want from God. What this is, John is giving us some instructions about what it looks like as we relate to one another in love and the implications of that in our lives. And we're going to unpack what that means in just a moment. But we always need to interpret Scripture in its context. Let's read on. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, And love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So in chapter 3, and and we're going to next weekend, he he does one little interjection in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But then he's going to jump right back into what he's been writing about. This idea of one of the main ways that we have assurance of our relationship with God is by the existence of our love relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This, this relationship that I have with God is totally by faith. But my relationship with you is 100% in the flesh. We see each other. We can touch each other. And it's our relationship with one another and the love that we have for each other that gives us assurance of our relationship with God. So John, in these verses that I've just read for you, makes two very strong statements about the connection between our fellowship with God and our love for each other. So let me give them to you. Here's the first one. I want to put it up here. My fellowship with God cannot be right apart from my loving fellowship with God's family. I want you to read this out loud with me, all right? Because I want to be sure you get it. Let's read it. One, two, three. My fellowship with God cannot be right 
apart from my loving fellowship with God's family. You ever heard anybody say, well, yeah, I love Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I just don't do the church thing. John says, that's not possible. John says that our fellowship with the Father cannot be right unless we are walking in a loving fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is not new language for John. Turn back in your Bible. We looked a few weeks ago at 1 John chapter 2. I want you to look at verses 9 and 10. John writes in 1 John chapter 2 verse 9, and he says, The one who says he is in the what? Say this out loud. Light. Now, when we talked about this, we said walking in the light meant walking in constant fellowship with God. And we said walking in the darkness meant to walk apart from fellowship with God. So let's read it that way. The one who says he is in the light, who is constantly in fellowship with God, and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. Here's what he's saying. If you're saying, my fellowship with God is good, and you hate your brother or sister in Christ, John says, your fellowship with God's not good at all. You are deceiving yourself, and you are walking apart from fellowship with God. Look at the rest of it. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. He is walking in fellowship with God, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. John says, if you say, man, I'm walking with God, me and God are good, and this is broken... John says, you're deceiving yourself. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. John said, if we walk in the light and we hate our... Some of you, well, well, I don't hate them. I mean, that's a strong word. I I don't hate them. I avoid them. I've started parking in a new part of the parking lot so that I don't have to be near them when they come in. But, but I mean, I don't hate them. I just don't like them. <laughs> the word hate in the Greek language literally means this. Ill or hostile feelings that affect the way you act towards someone. If I say I'm walking in fellowship with God and I have something between me or a brother and sister in Christ that causes me to treat them differently, steer away from them, avoid them, think badly of them, and I'm just good with that, John says I'm lying to myself about where I am in my fellowship relationship with God. One of my favorite books that I read every year is a book by a man named Roy Hessian. It's called The Calvary Road. It's a little bitty, I mean, you can read it in the afternoon. It's a little bitty thin book. We probably have some available at our resource center. You can buy them online if we don't have it back here. But The Calvary Road, I read it every year. Roy Hessian, it's a little book, but man, it packs a big punch. Listen to what Roy Hessian says in this little book. Everything that comes as a barrier between us and another, be it ever so small, comes as a barrier between us and God. 
our relationship with our fellows and our relationship with God are so linked that we cannot disturb one without disturbing the other. Jesus taught this. Jesus' greatest sermon, it's actually the longest sermon we have recorded in the Bible. It's three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the what? Sermon on the Mount. Why do we call it that? Because he stood on a mount and he preached it to 5,000 people. So what we read in three chapters of the Bible, this crowd got in an afternoon. Jesus just information downloaded onto them. And in the middle of that sermon, Jesus begins to address this issue of having something between you and a brother or sister in Christ. I want you to listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Look at it. He said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar. Now, let me kind of make that current day for us. Therefore, if you've come to church to worship, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You know what Jesus said? You've come to worship and you're not loving your brother and sister in Christ. You're not ready to worship. You need to first Deal with this before you're ready to worship. So here's what I want to do. I want to pause for a minute. I'm going to ask everybody in the building to just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not done yet. Don't start packing up. But bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to just remove all distractions for just a moment. And I want you to simply ask the Lord... In your own words, this question. God, is there anything between me or a brother or sister in Christ that I need to reconcile? Anything that I need to make right? Listen, don't talk yourself out of what the Holy Spirit of God is laying on your heart right now. I understand some relationships get broken and you do everything you can to reconcile and you've got to wait on God to move on their hearts. I get that. But what I'm asking right now, is there any relationship that's broken and you need to take the step Maybe there's somebody in this room. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I'm going to keep preaching here in just a minute. But you feel free to go to somebody in this room. If they're here, go make it right. Look this way. I got to believe in a room like this that there's some of you that the Holy Spirit of God's put something on your heart. And here's what I believe the principle of what Jesus was teaching is. Today, today is the day for you to take the first step in reconciling that.
Don't wait another day. Today is the day. Now, somebody might ask, why, why is this such a big deal? Well, let me tell you why it's a big deal. Because one of the weapons that our enemy uses to assault us as Christians is the enemy of doubt. And when you and I have broken relationships around us inside the body of Christ, the enemy uses that to whisper doubt. Doubt about our salvation. How, how could you, how do you call yourself a Christian when you can't even relate to this person? The enemy will whisper doubt about our position in the family of God. The enemy will whisper doubt about our access to the Father. When our fellowship with God or with God's family is disrupted, it creates doubt. And doubt is dangerous because James says when we're, when we're uh, double-minded or when we have doubt, we're unstable. It creates instability in our life. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. There's either something between them and God or something between them and a brother and sister in Christ and the enemy is wearing you out with doubt and keeping you defeated. It's important that we deal with this inside the family of God. Let me give you two specific ways John says we begin to doubt. Number one, we begin to doubt our position before God. Look at verse number 19 in John, 1 John chapter 3. Look back at verse 19. He says, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. The word condemn here is a word that means to to know something against someone and constantly bring it up. Here's what the Bible says the enemy does. When there's something between you, a brother, sister in Christ, and you know it and you just won't deal with it, the enemy's just going to keep bringing that up and keep bringing that up and keep bringing that up and keep bringing that up just to keep you defeated, to keep you doubting. And you begin to question your own position in the family. Am I even, how can I live like this and even be a follower of Jesus? Maybe I don't even know God at all. But what John is saying is the, the application is this. Look at this statement. The experience of loving fellowship in community leads to certainty in my relationship with God. Here's another way to say that. You will never enjoy confidence in your relationship with God apart from loving fellowship with other believers. Why, do, why, why is church a big deal? We call it gather time here on Sunday. Why is this important? Well, because you have to go to church to be a good Christian. No! We don't have to, listen, I'm who I am in Christ, not because of my performance for him. I'm who I am in Christ because of my position in him. We don't go to church to be a good Christian. You know why we're here? Because there are things about God we'll never learn apart from fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we gather together, we grow in certainty about our relationship with God. Why is group time? Why do we do small group? Well, I got to go to group to be a good Christian. No! It's in small group that you begin to live out life-on-life community. You know where the real church happens at Hope? Not in here on Sunday. 
the real church happens in small group as people in community are taking the word and making life application and doing life together and enjoying loving fellowship with one another. But the enemy uses broken fellowship with God's family to create doubt about my position in God's family. And when there's no certainty about my relationship with God, I lose effectiveness in the mission. Think about it this way. What if we, as a nation, were going to war and we were sending our troops onto the battlefield and we were talking to the group that was going to be on the very front line of the battle and we gave them all weapons, but one soldier, we said, we're not really sure your weapon works But go get them. How's that soldier going to fight? <laughs> Let me tell you, he's going to fight. He's going to look for a place to get behind somebody who he knows got a weapon that works, right? That soldier now is not focused on the mission at all. That soldier is focused on himself. Why? Because he's not sure his gun works, so he's going to make sure he puts him in a position to take care of himself and make sure he's got what he needs to survive. You know what that is? That's a picture of a lot of Christians who are living in broken fellowship and have sinned against God or sin against brothers and sisters in Christ and it's unreconciled. They're filled with doubt. And in the mission, they become unstable. They become ineffective because they're so consumed with trying to find out, am I okay? Does God love me? Am I going to get to go? They don't have time to be involved and engaged in the mission. They're never going to preach a gospel that they're not even sure has changed their own life. So the enemy loves to create doubt. And one of the ways he does that is by unreconciled relationships inside the family of God. But here's the second way doubt creeps in. I begin to doubt my very access to the presence of God. And that's what John was talking about here in verses 21 and 22. Look back at those verses. He said, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Here's what he's saying. When we're right with God and with brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what we have? We have boldness to just walk right into the throne room of God and to lay our requests before him and receive that which is ours as his children. But when you and I have broken relationships with God or with others, what happens is we begin to avoid God's presence. Why? Because we know we got something. We know this isn't right. We know he knows it. And so instead of being the child walking boldly into the presence of his father to get that which belongs to you because of who you are, now we begin to avoid the very presence of God because of this stuff. We, we doubt, well, God, God don't want to hear from me. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration to help you see it. When I was a kid, I was about 12, 13 years old, um, had a buddy from down the street who found a cigarette lighter in the gutter of our street. So he comes up to my house with this cigarette lighter, and we're, we're, we're like, you know, two little 12-year-old boys with a cigarette lighter. Man, we think we have discovered, and we got all kinds of fun in front of us. So, so we think, here's what we're going to do. Out behind my house was a field that was about 100 yards long and probably about 40, 50 yards wide. And it's, it's the middle of the summer, it's July, August, and we're out there, it's hot. And so we figured we're going to go out here where this field, where, the, where it's all grown up and dried, and we're going to light some grass on fire, and then we're going to throw it on the ground and stamp it out real fast. And so that sounded like a great plan, right? 
So, so, so that's what we did to 12 and 13 year old boys. It, it, man, we thought we'd discovered the moon. This is going to be awesome. So we get out there in the field. We start lighting grass. We throw it down and we all jump on it and stomp it out. Man, we're having the best time about the fourth or fifth time. We threw one down. We let it go for a minute. And the next thing we knew, the entire field is up in flames. <laughs> On the other side of the field from my house is where the mayor of our town lived. And I'm watching this flame grow towards his house. So 12, 13-year-old boys, what do we do? We, we, we got to fix this. So we run to the house. We get the garden hose. And we run it as far as it'll run. And we put our finger on it. And we're just standing there trying to put this fire out. And my buddy gets a garbage can lid. And he's trying to bang this fire. But I'm talking about a, this, this fire is now 40, 50, 60 yards of call the fire department. <laughs> fire department shows up several hours later, get all that stuff put out, and obviously it was not one of my better days. <laughs> my dad comes home from work. What do you think I did? You think I ran up to my dad, and jumped in his arms, said, Dad, I love you. Why don't we get us a Coke and sit down and watch some TV together? Now, let me tell you what I did. I avoided the presence of my father at all cost. I tried everything I could not to be in his presence. Why? Because I knew he knew. You know what the enemy does? You get some brokenness in your relationship with God, or you get some brokenness in a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. And the enemy wears you out with it. And here's what happens. You begin to avoid even the presence of God. Where you would normally, as God's child, you would normally walk into the presence of God and claim promises and ask for God's blessing and ask for God. But now you're, because you know he knows. And you know it's not dealt with yet. That's what John means here when he says, Beloved, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. But the flip side is also true. When our heart does condemn us, we don't have confidence before God. I'll give you an illustration from, it's not an illustration, it's a true story. My, when I moved here to Las Vegas, I planted this church. One of, the, one of the men that came to plant it with me was one of my best friends. He'd come to Christ in my hometown as a drug addict. He'd come to know Jesus and been born again. I discipled him. And for 17 years, we'd been best friends. Came to Las Vegas and we started planting the church and he was involved in that. And uh, as we began to work together, we, we'd known for years, we had an accountability relationship together. Because of his former drug addiction, he could not take narcotics. Even if it was a pain reliever or muscle relaxer or whatever, he couldn't take them because of his history and his past. So we had an accountability relationship. He said, anytime I have to go to the doctor for anything, he said, I want you to hold me accountable and you ask me what they prescribed me. And so that's what we'd done for years, for over a 10 years. That's the way we'd lived our lives together. He'd go to the doctor, would they prescribe you? And he'd tell me non-narcotic, muscle relaxer, or whatever, because he struggled with chronic back pain. And one particular time, and he's given me permission to share this story anytime I want to share it, anywhere I want to share it, where to help people. Because God's done a miraculous work of grace in his life and his family's life. They're at a completely different place now. But we were at a place in our lives where he went to a doctor, had some back pain. They prescribed him a narcotic. He came back from the doctor's office. I said, hey, man, what'd they give you? He lied. And he said, a non-narcotic muscle relaxer. 
And he wound up getting re-addicted to pain medication. It led him to a series of moral decisions that bankrupt his life in a lot of ways for a number of years. Now, the good news of the story, God in his grace reconciled his marriage, his kids. They're, God's using them again. It's a great story of redemption. Our church heavily invested in seeing them reconciled. But after he got healthy, we had a conversation one day, and I said, I said man, how did, how did you wind up there? And here's what he said. He said, from the moment that I lied to you, every time I'd go to spend time with the Father, the Spirit would say, you going to make that right? And I got so tired of hearing that that I began to avoid the presence of God. I didn't want to deal with that, so I ran from God's presence. And he said, Vance, when I ran from God's presence, it opened my heart and life up to everything else that I got involved in. When John writes about reconciling relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to understand something. It is a, this is not a small thing because the enemy will use that to create doubt and keep you from the presence of God. And we know this as followers of Jesus. Everything rises and falls in our lives based on time alone with the Father. And if the enemy creates doubt and steals that away, he can shipwreck our lives and our testimonies for the glory and honor of God. Well, let me give you the second of these two statements. I gave you the first one. My fellowship with God... Uh, cannot be right apart from loving fellowship with God's family. But here's the second one. My loving fellowship with God's family is rooted in my fellowship with God. My relationship with you is based upon my relationship with Him. Because I have a relationship with God... I now have a relationship with you. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it begins at the moment of salvation. Look back at verse number 23. He says, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. It starts by believing in Jesus. At the moment you and I are born again into a relationship with God, guess what? We get a relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love the dynamic of that here in our fellowship. Because look around the room, right? I mean, we are a diverse group of people. When I travel around the country and around the world and preach and teach, I tell them, if you come to our church on a Sunday, it looks like we just dumped a bag of Skittles out. We're, we're from all different stripes and colors and backgrounds, but we are one family in Jesus. We've all been born again by the same gospel. We all follow the same Savior. We have one God who is our Father. We're all living with one hope of eternity in the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, but it began at the moment we believed. When I was born again into a relationship with God, by His grace, I was also given a relationship with you as God's family. This word believe here in 1 John chapter 3 is a past tense word. It means it happened in the past. There was a moment where I believed in Jesus. But the ongoing effect of that, this love one another, is present tense. I believed in Him But now the ongoing impact of that is I have a love relationship with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Maybe you're here today and you've never believed. Maybe you've never been in a church. I met someone at the, after the first service. It's the first church service they'd ever been in. Never been in a church service before. Maybe that's you. And you don't know this God that we're talking about. Let me, let me share with you some truth that the Bible teaches. Let me give it to you in three verses. Number one, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Look at this verse. For all have what? And fall short of the glory of God. Here's what this verse says. We've all sinned, right? Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Doesn't matter what your background is. We've all sinned against God. All of us. And why this is such a big deal is sin separates us from a relationship with God. That's why we were made. We were made to enjoy fellowship with God. But our sin separates us. But get this. God loved us so much. Look at Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what that means. Even though I'd sinned against God, God loved me anyway, and he loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world. Jesus, God, took on humanity and lived among us, and Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself, and on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and by grace be given a relationship with God. Look at Romans 10, 13. Here's the third verse. For whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be what? Here's what that means. Today, today, you can surrender the control of your life to Jesus and believe on him and his death, burial, and resurrection. And you can be saved. And the millisecond that that happens, you not only get a relationship with God, you get us. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe on his name. My fellowship with God can't be right apart from my loving fellowship with you. But the reason I have fellowship with you is because I have a relationship with God. It's rooted in believing in Jesus. Here's what that means. Today, you don't need church first. You need Jesus first. And when you get Jesus, you get the family. But it begins with believing, but it grows through abiding. Listen to what John said. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. What commandment is he talking about? He's talking about this commandment to love one another. And the point he's making is that you and I, our love relationship with each other is the overflow of our daily moment by moment, moment, by moment abiding in Jesus. And here's the principle. The kind of love that we've been called to demonstrate towards each other We don't even have the capacity to do that apart from Christ. It's only as Christ in us is loving through us that we get to enjoy the kind of loving fellowship that God has called us to. So it begins in belief, but it grows through abiding as we abide in Christ personally and daily. And I love this because it puts all the emphasis back not on focusing on my relationship with you, It puts all the emphasis back on focusing on my relationship with the Father. And as I pursue Him, He through me 
gives me a loving fellowship that I could never create on my own. Love one another. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you this morning to take your word and speak to us. Lord, in the stillness of this moment, would your Holy Spirit give us ears to hear what you've said today? As you sit there this morning before the Lord, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. It's an opportunity for us to respond to what we've heard from God's Word today. We're going to stand. We're going to sing together. And this morning as we prepare for that, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Here's the first one. Have you ever believed in Jesus? I'm not asking if you've been to church. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. Have you come to the place in your life where you've turned from your sin and believed in Jesus as the God and Savior of your life? If you've never done that, listen to me. Today is the day of salvation for you. In just a moment when we stand and sing, I'm going to be here at the front. We have some other pastors at the corner of the stage. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to know what it is to be forgiven and leave here with a relationship with God, when we stand to sing, you just make your way out of the seat where you are, come down here to the front to one of these pastors, and here's all you have to say, I need Jesus. We'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. All you got to do is come. The enemy's going to try to keep you, but you, you, you just come. Just come. For others of you today, you're already a Christian. Are you walking in loving fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe there's somebody in this room you need to go to and get in this altar together and just begin to reconcile. Maybe there's someone that's not here. You know, you need to give them a call this afternoon. You just need to come get in this altar and ask God to prepare your heart to allow Christ in you to love and forgive through you as only he can. You need to reconcile. It's dangerous to be walking there. You are an open target for the enemy. For others of you, our pastors are here at the front. Maybe you're struggling with something in your job, your health, your finances, a relationship, and you just need a pastor to pray with you. That's why we're here. We'd be honored to pray for you. These altars are going to be open. You can come be alone with God. As the Spirit of God moves you, you respond. Lord, In this moment, would you have your way? Would you speak as only you can with clarity and draw people to yourself? It's in the name of Jesus we pray.